which I ate my vegan chicken nuggets for dinner last night. I am 22, living in my parents' house. Pate's that's a vegan okay. this week. Pate's a vegan this week. Y'all, please pray. I miss the cheese. Welcome back to another episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens, our podcast where we talk about feminism and pop culture. I'm Nellie. And I'm Pate. This week, we're definitely a bit emo because this is our first episode without our Quinny, which is sad and weird, but we are so excited for her as she begins her big squirrel job in Wisconsin, and we're grateful she's given us her blessing to continue the pod. As always, before we dive into this week's episode, we'd like to remind our listeners to stay politically active and engaged in social justice movements in the U.S. and around the world. Make sure you're registered to vote, continue to sign petitions, and get out and make your voice heard in any way possible. Please stick around to the end of the episode as we continue sharing action items of ways to make an impact. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Feminist Fiends. As we promised in last week's episode, we just launched a giveaway for some cool feminist swag, so please check us out on our Instagram to enter. Now let's dive into this week's movie. We've noticed a pattern in some of our most recent episodes of talking about early 2000s feel-good movies, as pointed out by a listener, and today is no exception. Well, I mean, technically this movie was made in 2011, but still, it's a feel-good movie. It's great. That's right. We're talking about Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids was written by Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wiig, starring an all-star cast of Wiig herself, Maya Rudolph, Rose Byrne, Melissa McCarthy, and many other talented and hilarious actresses. One of my biggest pet peeves is when men claim that women aren't funny, and this movie single-handedly ruins this idea as it is packed with grade A women comedic talent. And fun fact, well, there's a lot of fun facts about this movie, but fun fact, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. And lost to a man. No surprise. Um, Okay, so let's dive in. Um, So I have never seen Bridesmaids before, which is nuts, to be honest. Um, So sorry, uh, everyone. Um, I know I'm a big disappointment, but I know we've been planning to talk about it on the pod for quite some time. So Pate... Why do you think this film is worthy of critical analysis? So I think when the term a feminist film comes along, a lot of people think of Bridesmaids because it is a cast of majority women. It's written by women and it is, I think, one of the funniest movies that, where the main characters are women. When I think of funny movies for women, I think of, Booksmart, and I think of Bridesmaids. And we already talked about Booksmart, so we have to discuss her mother, Bridesmaids. Um, And, you know, I think it also is feminist because as a woman who finds herself funny, I hate it when men, like, their idea of humor is like, oh, women aren't funny. Have you ever seen a funny woman? Amy Schumer isn't funny so therefore all women aren't funny yes amy schumer isn't funny i might get some hate for that but you know there are very funny women out there and i think this movie proves that 
And it also bothers me how many Adam Sandler movies there are out there. He is not funny. And people think that he's funny and he has, what, like 10 of the same movies with the same plot and, like, no character development. And then, like, also Seth Rogen. I am a big fan of Seth Rogen, don't get me wrong, but, like, he plays the same character in almost every single movie. And, like, people think he's, like, a comedy genius, but it's, like, give me some flavor here. And I think that's what Bridesmaids does. It gives me the flavor. It gives me the characters. It gives me the development. It gives me the jokes. And I just think it is a perfect example of a woman's comedy movie and proves that women are funny. Yeah, I think that um, this was something that you had mentioned to me kind of before the before we decided to do this. And it was helpful to have heard that perspective when watching it, because I think it allowed me to watch it through that lens. And then also kind of in preparation for today's episode, I was digging up some articles to read. And in her article in The Guardian titled Bridesmaids, How a Chick Flick Won Over a Feminist, Zoe Williams talks about how she attended a screening of the movie and interviewed the, quote, real life brides there. Um, And overall, they seemed to like it, said it was funny and actually represented how women communicate with one another. There was one newlywed who was critical of the movie saying she liked it, but quote, it felt like girls doing boys humor. And then she said, women aren't funny. There aren't any funny women comedians, end quote. And then she was probably a Republican. Oh, <laughs> we're back to the theme of, <laughs> of Republicans. She, well, like, this is, this is also not feminist of me, but she's probably a pick me girl too. Like, Well, the thing actually that was interesting about the article, and I didn't include this in the question or the quote, but the, the, the way that Zoe Williams framed her was that she was like this completely like tatted up girl. And she was like, oh, I assume this woman is a feminist because she's got like a lot of cool tattoos on, which is kind Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. interesting, like on Zoe Williams part that like she was like, and I think she, she really is self-critical in the article as well. I encourage y'all to read it again. It is titled Bridesmaids, How a Chick Flick Won Over a Feminist. Um, But it kind of shows the, I don't know if it's internalized misogyny, like internalized like stereotyping that we do, like what we consider to be feminist. But essentially she was like, oh, this woman has tattoos. She'll probably align with my views. And Zoe Williams also talks in the article about how she has no interest in being married. And like, that's not really something that she aligns with. She also says she doesn't have tattoos. So she kind of is like, I don't know why I felt like this woman was going to have the same opinions as me, but I just kind of assumed she'd be a feminist because she's got tattoos. So I don't know. To Zoe Williams credit, I probably would have done the same thing. Right. No. Oh, absolutely. Same. But anyway, so the woman that she's talking to, this tatted up woman says, there aren't any funny women comedians. And then Williams ends her article. So basically this is like the last story she tells and says, quote, So there it is. If you think women aren't funny, this won't feel like a feminist gesture. This will feel like women pretending to be men who are funny. And if you think women are funny, you will be astonished that you have waited this long to see them be funny on a big screen, end quote. So I feel like we just got to pick this apart. Like, first of all, the claim, like you said, Pate, that women aren't funny. I don't know that I've ever truly tackled this. And I don't even know that I've ever really realized personally that this was a, that, well, anyway, like, basically, like, is humor something that is solely possessed by men? Does humor belong to men? What do you think? I don't know. It's, it's wild because I, I don't know that I've ever fully grappled with this, truthfully. 
it's just like I feel like men are always the gatekeepers of things so of course like I mean if you think back to history I watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with my mom I know that's a fictionalized show of course but like in the late 50s early 60s like comedy was a big thing it was a big part of the entertainment industry and of course it was all men there was no question that a woman could do it because it's crude behavior and women can't do that so like yeah men did it and were the only performers of comedy for years and then I think we still have this idea like especially you know people I know it like if a woman were to like say a crude joke it's like seen worse for her because women are supposed to be poised and they're supposed to be ladylike and they're not supposed to say inappropriate things but for men it's just like oh roll your eyes and like if you don't agree with it it's not as taboo as if a woman says it so I think absolutely it was like a men's kind of like thing for a long time and like I think recently in the 2000s and the 2010s we're starting to see like a lot more representation of women comedy writers as well as actresses um and then just like thinking about it Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph like really and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler like they really got their fame from SNL and um you know, I can't say, like, I watch, I don't, I don't know SNL that well, like, God, the old SNL. ones, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, weren't they, wasn't SNL, like, the 80s, the 90s, like, it was old, 70s, right? I think, actually, yeah. <laughs> they had, like, women on SNL, like, they had cast members on SNL back then, too, but, like, they just recently became, like, really big writers and have, like, really big parts in the show, um, and then yeah, and I think if you think about the early days of SNL too, I think you think of um, oh my god, Will Ferrell. Yeah, you think, think of Will Ferrell and the guy. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to. Who's the guy with the dad in Cheaper by the Dozen? Oh, Steve Martin. Thank you, God. Sorry, Steve Martin. I forgot your name. I, oh, bang. I love he you and bang. your banjo playing ass. Love you, but no, yeah, I think of like them. Even though I could fucking mm-hmm. call Steve Martin's name. But um, I think of them, but I feel like now, I mean, yes, I think of like Andy Samberg and people like nowadays, but I do think Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler like are the people that you think of when you think of like, I don't want to say our generation because they're much older than us, but like our SNL, like the SNL that we've experienced. So I agree with you. Yeah. I think they're like the generation that empowered women to in comedy, like also Mindy Kaling I think yeah. you know I don't think so many people oh this is something that gets me going I always like see a parallel between men that watch The Office and think it's hilarious and men that don't think women are funny but it's like you realize Mindy Kaling wrote The Office like she was one of the main writers and like we just like ignore that and forget that she and then the actor that played Toby and then the actor that played Ryan we're all writers of The Office. And so it's just like, you know, they're on the screen and they're like tiny characters, but you don't realize like the actual impact that these women have. And also on TikTok, there's this new trend, or it was a trend where you would be like, okay, you have five seconds and name three funny people. And then I was like, okay, me... Like, and then I said two other people in my head. And then it was a girl who was doing this video and she was like, 
okay, now notice how you didn't say any women. And I was like, actually, I did have a woman. I said myself. So, but it was just this whole idea that like, it's a funny trend to be like, huh, women aren't funny. <laughs> it's like, that's not funny. That's not cute. That's not helpful for anyone. And women are actually funny. So yeah. I always have to bring up TikTok I, once during each episode. Yeah, we love TikTok. Um, I do think that it's interesting because I feel like now kind of with like the reclamation of humor by women, it kind of then has developed into this trope of that like the take covers which um shout out to sam young who sent me this video um our former guest um shout out to our devil wears prada episode check it out if you haven't um, a true bay a true bay sam young um basically like the take does a video on the women child trope which is kind of like the gender flip of the man child trope but basically, like, Annie is an example of the woman child and the kind of humor that comes up, like, again, like the gender flip of when a man, like, doesn't have his shit together, like, financially, romantically, like, is, like, unattached, like, very much, think, like, those are, a, that's a very common, I don't know, character for men, but then when women do it, as the take says, quote, she has been living in the shadow of the man-child, but now we're seeing her all over TV and film. What makes her so special and more than a gender flip of the man-child? And, like, from, like, while it's, it's, from my perspective, like, while it's this exciting thing that we're seeing this representation of women in this way, it's also in, like, I don't know, like, it's hard to wrap my head around, and I think it is, like, somewhat, like, the having internalized the patriarchy a little bit, because I'm, like, well, this portrayal of women is negative, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to like have things that it's like tough. Cause you want the representation of the imperfections of women and you don't want them to just be like all like, I don't, I don't want women to have to be like cookie cutter and poised or things like that. But at the same time, I think this, and I don't think that like farts and that kind of crude humor should be owned solely by men. Like, it's just this like, like, but what are the implications of this woman child trope? being portrayed and like what are we missing I guess and I don't I don't have answers and I don't expect you to have answers either but I think it's just something that has come up and and when in watching that video by the take and then also watching Bridesmaids. No yeah I mean I just find it interesting how the man-child trope is like dominated by the genre of comedy like 40-year-old virgin and stepbrothers which I think stepbrothers is hilarious it's crude and like weird and gross, but it is a funny movie that I would not watch with my parents. But that's just it. It's funny. I don't think there's any redeeming qualities. I don't think there's anything like that you can take away from that movie that you can like learn from. And the woman child, I don't think is all always used in comedy. I think it's also used to like be in very like sad kind of moody dramas as well as comedy because like it's definitely used in bridesmaids and I think like for some reason when Annie hits rock bottom in bridesmaids I can relate to that so much every single time I watch it no matter where I am in my life like something about watching a character that you've grown to love in the past two hours in a comedy movie hit rock bottom sometimes hurts like worse than like in a drama 
And so like, I can really, like, I really empathize and I really feel for that. And I think that's so cool how the writers can make you feel that way about a character in that short of time. But I also find it like frustrating that the woman child is seen as negative compared to the man child. Because while the man child is like a funny trope, the woman child is like, oh, you're so sad. You don't know what like is like what your life is pan out to be and part of me think that that is because we expect women to mature faster than men and so Mm -hmm. then when they don't and they have like a midlife crisis we're like you're supposed to be a a wife you're supposed to be a mom you're supposed to have this all figured out it's okay if men are 40 years old and need dino chicken nuggets in their parents basement but if you're a woman doing that that's embarrassing right which I ate my vegan chicken nuggets for dinner last night. I am 22, living in my parents' house. Paid that's vegan okay. this week. Paid to vegan this week. Y'all, please pray. I miss the cheese. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree. And I think you just articulated what I was having trouble doing, truthfully. And I think it is frustrating that the man-child trope can, I don't know, it's, sur- it, it's this like cool and funny thing that, men and body and then when women are like this it's the expectation particularly I think which I didn't even really realize how well the movie did this until kind of after the fact but just that that like the character Annie doesn't like has trouble with commitment and that's because of her woman child tendencies And that is something that's, like, very much expected of men, to, like, not have any interest in, like, to not want to be attached to a relationship and things like that. And it's expected of women to, like, want to settle down and marry. Like, I think there's that expectation. And I think that she doesn't really know what she wants with that. Like, even though she's clearly panicking when her best friend gets engaged, I think there's also, like, this. Like, even though she might want that, it's definitely, like her commitment issues and attachment issues. Like while women definitely have those, I think it's something that's more traditionally accepted in men and not in women. Okay, so Nellie, question. What character do you relate to the most? Or if you don't relate to a character, which one did you like love the most? You know, it's funny because I feel like with other movies we've done, like I've either gone into the movie being like I already know I identify with this character or like as I've watched it I've been like that's definitely me um I do think like there were parts of this movie where I identified with different characters so like for example a scene that I related to a lot was when again very early on in the movie when um Lillian and Annie are like getting breakfast or whatever and Lillian's like literally kind of like shitting all over Annie being like you this man's trash and he doesn't care about you and you shouldn't keep seeing him and like he tells you that like you need to fix your teeth and all that I love that scene too I think that's like my favorite scene but I was literally like wow this is me with my friends and they're and the men that they're seeing even though it's not necessarily me with myself I should be giving myself that pep talk but I definitely feel like I'm always like oh, the boys you're seeing aren't shit. Like, I feel like I'm always saying that to people, but... Oh, I say that to literally everyone I meet, even the girls in the bathroom, like... I'll be like, break up with I, him. I'm like, break it yeah. off. I'm like, I don't know who you are, I don't know your name, but break up with him. Dump him. Dump him, yeah. I have so. a t-shirt that says dump him. <laughs> so I think that's what I 
related to the most in terms of like favorite scenes or things like that truthfully so much of this movie gave me secondhand embarrassment like I was literally stressed like I think that's what makes it so funny and and it kind of I mean it's worth grappling with because I think it's like why do I feel so uncomfortable when women are doing this? But I was, if I was watching this movie and it were men, I probably wouldn't feel that way. But again, it's because I think humor and comedy isn't as acceptable with women. And I mean, that's interesting. Imperfections. Besides, like, the, the ones that made me really, like, embarrassed for them is, like, when they're having food poisoning in the wedding dress shop. Um, and that was actually not written by um, Kristen Wiig and Annie... Mumolo that was written by the director who was a man what's his name um Jen. Paul 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 Fig and Judd Eplow Apatow oh my gosh Judd Apatow whatever his name is I read something on the internet that like Wig and Mumolo really wanted like the subtle like comedy like a lot of it was based off of dialogue and but the the men like the man director and producers wanted kind of more like slapstick comedy so that's why there's like a little bit of both um and I think it went really well and the you know most of the time when I think oh a man director he's gonna come in and like mess everything up but apparently this um Paul Fig um is super into like having women in the writers rooms and having them on the big screen and he did the Ghostbusters um women movie so you know I thought that was like a nice mix and like respect of like what the writers wanted and what the director and producers wanted yeah I mean I think that I don't know it's I'm I'm not gonna lie that scene didn't actually make me very uncomfortable and I don't know if that's because of my comfort with my body (laughs) like I don't know why I didn't feel like that wasn't what gave me a secondhand embarrassment truthfully and I wonder if it is because I'm actually a little bit more comfortable with slapstick comedy because I think it is something that comes up and I'm like yes representation of women shitting women shit like I'm down for that but I feel like when like the the like um the like Helen Annie showdown with the mic made me super uncomfortable. Like the, I just wrote somewhere in my notes, this entire movie is so funny, but it also causes me to feel extreme secondhand embarrassment. Like the, the whole plane scene, I was like, Oh my God, I'm stressed because she was like saying things. I was like, Oh my God, you can't say that. And then of course, when she like, when she like loses her, her mind like not like loses her shit basically at the what is it the bridal shower yeah I just think like those three in particular gave me like secondhand embarrassment and it's so funny because I think that actually like the barf and shit like the food poisoning scene I actually kind of liked and like her shitting in the street I was like this is gonna be me on my wedding day because I'm gonna have like <laughs> nervous shits and I'm gonna be shitting in the street in my wedding dress so like, relatable content things that I put on the internet like can't wait to put this episode on the internet being like oh future husband like here I am shitting in the street no your future husband's gonna love you for you <laughs> and you're if gonna be so excited to marry him I don't even know okay, if yeah, I subscribe to that we'll see who knows to be determined. So, okay, I find that, that really interesting, like, your secondhand embarrassment from these scenes. Because I think the, um, like, the engagement party scene with the microphones, Annie and Helen back and forth, that definitely is supposed to be, like, we're supposed to feel embarrassed by that. Because it's, like, so awkward and childish of them to be doing that. Like, 
you would never actually do that at a engagement party, I hope. I don't know. Would I do that? No. Maybe. Well, the thing is, is I was kind of like, okay, low-key, if I were Lillian, though, I'd be like, oh, my, God, my friends love I would be like, get off the mic. No, I would be like, get off the mic. Enough about you. Well, actually, keep talking about me. But like, I'd literally you know, be like, oh, my God, give me attention. Thank you. I actually think that the airplane scene is my favorite scene. It is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It has sparked uh, a gif that I use all the time, the one when she goes, help me, I'm poor. Like, ugh, relatable. And then when she starts talking about the colonial woman churning butter on, on the wing, like, how has no one thought about that? That was insane. That was so funny. Like, I, I think that's so funny. And then, oh, and then Melissa McCarthy and her husband, and she's like, I know you're an air marshal. And he's like, what? And she's like, I know you're an air marshal. And he's like, I'm just a regular guy. And then when all this goes down, he's like, air marshal. And she's like, I got you. And then she tackles Annie. Like, <laughs> I do I think that Megan is my favorite character. You haven't answered this question so yet either, too. Who's your fave character? Okay. So, uh, hmm. okay. I don't know why I feel this, like, longing to say Lillian. Maybe it's just because I love Maya Rudolph. And I love her on SNL. And I love, like all her impressions. I think she's one of the funniest actresses alive right now that I know. I'm sorry. I'm sure there are funnier actresses out there, but I just think she's so funny and her character is supposed to be like super relatable. But then I also just like relate so heavily with Annie. And I know that is how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to relate to Annie. She's supposed to be this like messed up, like can't get anything right type of character and then at the bridal shower when Helen copies all of Annie's ideas and like Annie pops off for me I love that scene because it's like cathartic because I'm like yes Annie like call her out for what she's done she has copied your idea she's tried to steal your friendship she's made you look bad countless times and like you're a true friend because and then I also read something that's like we all relate to Annie in that moment because women especially know what it feels like to be left out either of a friendship or a group and so like in that moment it's almost like Annie is taking that back being like no I'm not just gonna like politely step aside and let you like steal my friend and my ideas like I know the real Lillian and she would hate this shower but she's just being nice to you and then at the end of the movie it Turns out, like, Lillian actually hates everything Helen's done for the wedding. Her dad can't afford it. She has anxiety. She, like, can't go through with it because Annie actually knows, like, her personality and her, like, deepest thoughts and, like, desires. So, like, to put it all together, I think Annie is my favorite character and I relate to her, but I love Lillian a lot. And I think their friendship is really beautiful and, like, honest. And my favorite scene is the plane scene because the colonial woman churning butter is the funniest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. And it makes me think about my band uniform, you know, because I looked like a colonial woman back in the day. <laughs> it makes me think about my band uniform. And that, you you know. and that makes you happy. That's why that's your favorite. Yes, exactly. And I love butter. Like, oh, nostalgia from when I was in I'm like, that could have been me. I could have been the colonial woman. <laughs> 
Except my, my band garb is, like, very gender neutral, but back in the day, I would have been, like, the band uniform I wear is very masculine. Mm. So a colonial So maybe man. I wouldn't have been a colonial wear. Yeah. Oops. Okay. So, you know, a lot of the movies we talk about on this podcast were created in the early 2000s. But this one was created in the early 2010s. It's crazy that that was a whole decade almost ago. Um, 2020, you've been a terrible year. Hurry up, get done so that we can get on Fuck to 2021. You, 2020, I hate your ass. Literally the worst year of my life. No cap. Anyways, so it's kind of crazy that this movie was about nine years ago. So E! News wrote this article four years ago about how the movie Bridesmaids kind of like had a shift in the cultural impact that it had on like movies in comedy that um, starred women. And a quote I really liked says, it showed women in all their states and sides of their personalities. It wasn't trying to make them better or worse than they are. It was just trying to portray them as human beings. After reading that, I kind of thought about that and it really resonated with me and why I like this movie so much um, and why the movie is so successful. And I think it's because, um, because of the characters. And like, I think you can have a good plot and if you have terrible characters, you're going to tank. Because it's just like a good plot will get you nowhere if you don't have great characters. And I think what makes this movie so good are the characters. It's not just like a raunchy comedy that digs on women for being women. Like you actually care about Annie and Lillian and you really hate Helen. Um, Not just because they're women, but because of their characteristics. And it proves that women characters are funny but also more than just like a plot point in a movie, not to bring up Adam Sandler again, but I feel like, you know, when you think of all his movies, women are just like his romantic partner in the movie and just like an aspect of like a plot or a comedic, but here they are the characters, they are the plot. Um, And women characters are allowed to be funny. They're allowed to be annoying, gross and weird because like their people too, just like men have been able to do for years. So the age old question, is this movie feminist? I think you just laid out a very good argument, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think absolutely it's feminist because I think that it kind of repeating what I said earlier, I think women characters that are depicted as being funny as well as vulnerable is very powerful. And this movie isn't like Step Brothers in the sense of it's all comedy and no growth and depth. It is very powerful. And you, we have really great deep characters and we're not just laughing, but we're also feeling empathetic for them. And I think that is empowering as a woman and it's also showing how real women characters are. I think often women are also used just as kind of sexual objects and they're objectified a lot in early 2000s and 90s comedy movies and I think what is so important about Bridesmaids and movies like Bridesmaids and like like, for example, Booksmart, 
women characters aren't just objectified here. They are the whole plot. They are the whole development. And I think that is very pivotal in allowing us to view women not as objects, but as, you know, as people, which like, I don't feel like that is something that's hard to ask, but you know, it's still prevalent in movies today where women are objectified and just seen as sexual objects and beings. I think for me, in terms of like the question, is this movie feminist? I think it's hard for me to like, and I don't know, maybe this is what like deterred me from watching this movie beforehand. I don't know if I ever particularly avoided it. I I don't think that was the case. Um, I'm honestly surprised I hadn't watched it sooner because it definitely seems like the sort of movie I would watch. But I do think that, like, I think it's tough because so much of my scholarship at Swanee was actually, like, on, not so much, but some of it was on marriage and just, like, how it is very much, like, part of the institution of the patriarchy. And it's hard for, like, for me, I think maybe subconsciously that was something, even though, like, I'm sure I will buy into that tradition at some point, it was also, like, something that maybe was, like, deterring me from watching this, just because I'm, like, oh, it's about bridesmaids. Like, I was just, like, man, I don't know if that's it, but what's really great is I've learned um, both through the takes video and also, like, the um, the different articles that we've read, how, like, basically bridesmaids has been called a female version of the hangover and there's this really there's this an, another really good article from the guardian i love the guardian um that david cox writes titled bridesmaids buries hollywood sphere of feminism and in that article he writes this time it's lillian not her groom who fears that marriage will rob her of her mates it's annie who has a problem with commitment and not her swain the bridesmaids have hopes fears longings jealousies rivalries and vulnerabilities that any women might harbor yet in this film these things don't seem all that exclusively female and this is really similar to what you're just saying Pate. how like these things are able to be like human conditions and not just like traits of women and I think that like you said that is what makes bridesmaids feminist and also like what like kind of this turning the stereotypes on its head and being like, women can also be afraid of commitment and concerned that like their relationship will inhibit their like relationships with their friends. And that like women can also have kind of like the bros before hoes mentality, but like it's like sisters before misters or whatever kind of gender bullshit it's going to be. But I just think, also the movie I think we've talked so much of what we talked about is like female friendship on this podcast and I think the movie portrays friendship without it having like like you've said kind of in terms of characteristics that don't have to be exclusively female it portrays friendship with that without it having to feel like this specifically feminine thing which I appreciate it kind of caused like seeing that written by David Cox kind of caused me to question like what it is I expect out of female friendships both in terms of watching them in the in movies but also out of my own personal ones and how they're imperfect and it doesn't have to be this cookie cutter version of female friendship that is often portrayed in film like I do think Bridesmaids does a good job of like showing ways in which women like actually behave with one another both in its toxicity and in its like raw slapstick humor version of it. I mean, when they have like the chocolate in their teeth and they're like, I don't need to get my teeth fixed. I literally was like, 
this is something that I would do with my friends. And I just think that that sort of, and like you said earlier, Pate, like I do think the only other movie where I've really seen that in action is Booksmart, where they're just like silly with each other. Like that scene where they're like dancing in the street and like gassing each other up, but it's just like awkward and funny. Like that, I think that's like you said, like the the baby of bridesmaids <laughs> for sure. Sweet. Anything else yeah. you want to say before we move on to action items? I think that Helen is annoying. I meant to say that earlier, but I forgot to say that. I and I feel think, bad for Helen. She doesn't. No, of course you feel bad. Like, I mean, that's like the whole point of the movie is like <laughs> she's she's annoying and then you realize she does this because she wants people to like her so bad that she has a really bad way of like making friends she's like oh i'll just make everyone think that i'm really cool and and rich and it's like oh well actually you seem like you'd be a teacher's pet don't you think she would be a teacher's pet I don't know. Or she would I buy her teacher like fifty dollars. Pet qualities. It depends on what we define as a teacher's. Oh pet. my gosh, I was the biggest teacher's pet. Yeah, because like I wanted the teachers to like me, but I also I don't think we'd have a podcast like that like this if we weren't teachers' pets. But True. I definitely wanted the teacher to like me, but I wasn't gonna buy their. Like, yeah. Like I wasn't. Like I don't even think. I mean, bringing an apple to a teacher wasn't even really a thing. But like. I would. Does Emily even do that anymore? That's sad. I don't know, but I would like thank my teachers after every class. Like it'd be like, thank you, like Mr. Flaherty, and then leave. And then like, God, I'm not like that bad. I would be like that. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, oof. It's hard for me to be like Helen would be a teacher's pet because I'm like, oof. Am I a Helen? I hope not. Like I was just God, a teacher's pet not. in the sense of like I did all my homework and I was like respectful. And I guess that's, like, kind of sad that that is grounds for me being a teacher's pet. But, like, this is some tea. My public school every semester would give out awards in each class. And it was, like, the highest GPA, the most improved, and the spirit of Homewood. And so the highest GPA was basically the nerd one. The most improved was, like, saying you had a bad GPA in the beginning of the year, and then now you have a better one. And then Spirit of Home 1 is just, like, the one that the teacher liked the most. And I swear I got, like, five Spirit of Home 1 awards in two years. And I was like, I'm a teacher's I won, pet. I, like, the year I started doing, being like, I'm going to thank my teacher after every class. Which, honestly, I kept doing all the way through college. So I don't, I don't mind it. Especially if you're going to go to a liberal arts college and you need to have close relationships with your professors. Thank your yeah. teacher. They did a lot to prepare for your class and they taught you that day. It's not, don't be like, don't go up to their desk and be like, thank you. And just stand there weirdly. Just like, as you're walking out the door, I'd be like, yo, thank you professor or teacher. But like I started doing that in seventh grade and that year I got the leadership for my, my like, my middle school did like teams. So, but I got like the leadership. That's a flex on my seventh grade leadership award. Like, I know you're jealous. That's probably like the biggest award you've ever gotten for leadership, right? Yeah, that's the biggest (laughs) award I've ever gotten. Shout out. That was my prime, seventh grade. Well, now I always tell my Orange Theory coaches thank you after the classes. So that's the same thing, right? Yeah. Dude, I'm obsessed with Orange Theory. Have we talked about Me that? too. Oh my God, no. Orange Theory sponsor us. I will literally Orange you Theory, give day. us a shout Orange out. I love theory. you. Give us some money. Um, okay, we need to simply move on to action. The items, whole point but... of that was to say that Helen is annoying and not because <laughs> she's a woman. 
<laughs> How did we get from Helen to Orange Theory? Whatever. But, like, at the end when Annie's like, can I come to Rock and Roll Sushi with you? I was like, oh, my God. I think Annie made, like, the, the point to be like, I will hang out with you even though you do annoy me, but I would still, like, be understanding. Yeah, and I wonder if this is, like, a whole other episode that we should do. We should be talking about – because I think there's, like – like, friendships of three can be really difficult. Like, and there's usually, like, I don't know, to be that odd man out is tough. And inevitably, you're going to, like, try to stand your ground if you are that person. And in that case, that's Helen. Like, she's kind of new on the scene. She doesn't have the time invested in the relationship that Annie has, but she does have the money. And so I think she's like, how can I, like, become this person's most important person? Honestly, I kind of think Helen's a two. That literally is big two energy. It's like, I want to make myself indispensable to you, and I want you to love me. Yeah. You think everyone's a two? No, I don't. Who do you think think was a two last week? Almost... The tough thing is pretty much all the characters that we don't like are twos. Well, I feel like we're both twos. Are we not both twos? I don't think I'm a two anymore. I can't type you. I cannot type you, Kate. We could dedicate a whole episode. We could get someone on here who can type you. Okay. We'll dedicate a whole episode to the Enneagram and feminism. (laughs) Anyway. um, So as always, we have some action items for you. Kate, take it away. So mine is kind of on brand with the theme of bridesmaids. My action item is called Becca's Closet, and it is a dress drive which collects and distributes dresses to girls with financial needs while also awarding post-secondary education scholarships. Um, And so you can donate your old prom dresses or bridesmaids dresses to Becca's Closet, and then they will give them out to girls um, who want to go to prom but can't necessarily afford a brand new dress. Um, but then they also do other things um, and other empowering items and action items and ways to get involved. And you can find that at BeccasCloset.org. Sweet. I'm literally going to do that. I was cleaning up my closet the other day and I was like, I don't know what to do with my prom dress. Why the heck would I wear this? My action item this week is not relevant to the themes of this week's film, but it is relevant to the time we're living in. As the presidential election looms, I want to share a resource that was recently shared with me. I'm plugging Vote Save America. As stated on their website, quote, in this crazy and unprecedented time, the 2020 campaign will have to evolve in ways we've never seen before. While no one knows how it's going to turn out, here's one thing we do know. When you wake up on the Wednesday after election day, you'll want to know that you did everything in your power to deliver the future you want. Vote Save America is here to be your one-stop shop for all the information and rules you need to participate in 2020. You've made it this far. You're crushing it. Now, what else can you do? The answer is more, end quote. Check them out to make sure you're registered to vote or to check that you're still registered, to request your absentee ballot to vote by mail, to see what will be on your ballot before election day, and how to volunteer from home. I hope you'll join me in adopting a state. Um, so basically the way this works is since, since I don't live in a battleground state, adopting a state will allow me to have an impact on states that will determine who wins in this election. So that's Arizona, Pennsylvania, a few others. These are sometimes called swing states, but in this case, they're 
called battleground states. Um, all you have to do is visit votesaveamerica.com, pick a state and sign up and they'll send you everything you need to make a big difference leading up to November. Please, 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 please at least make sure you're registered to vote and you're ready to vote come election day. Um, but there's also more you can do as the as their mission states. So thanks y'all. Um, before we go, we have a quote. So for this week and this episode, our ending quote was said by Becca while she was drunk on a plane, which is a mood that we will all have after coronavirus when we are flying somewhere fun. <laughs> quote, you're more beautiful than Cinderella. You smell like pine needles and you have a face like sunshine, end quote. And I think that about all you listeners, and I especially think that about you, Nellie. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think that way about you, too. You're way more Thanks. beautiful than Cinderella. But also, like, shout out to Cinderella. You're a queen. We're not trying to put you down. <laughs> yeah. Thanks <laughs> for saying that. Cinderella. Orange Theory sponsor us. <laughs> um, Cinderella sponsor us. <laughs> we can sing and dance. And we are beautiful and funny. And that's all you need to know about us. This has been Feminist Feeds and Quarantine Queens. See you next week. Bye. Bye.